I'm Leslie Mahoney, and this is Inside Berkeley. Today we have Professor Bill Banfield, who directs Berkeley's Africana Studies program. He's also a guitarist, composer, and author whose group, the Jazz Urbane, bridges generations of musicians, including Berkeley faculty, alumni, and students, for a fusion of jazz, soul, and funk. In preparation for the CD release event for the group's debut album, Playing With Other People's Heads, Banfield talks about the Jazz Urbane's beginnings and its evolution, as well as the mentorship it's fostered. Let's start by playing a tune from the album, Swinehouse Blues, featuring alumna Grace Kelly on sax and alumna Jessica Newry on vocals. about how the Jazz Urbane began? Wow, there's a couple stories, uh, but I'll make this one short. I think initially it started, uh, or the secondary part of this, most recent, started with a conversation with Esperanza Spaulding. When I came here in 2005, she was here as a young uh, professor or uh, aspiring artist that was teaching, and uh, she was blowing up at that time. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if we, we could... Uh, uh, do a, a gig every week somewhere in local. And so we'd say, oh, this would be great. And we decided Daryl's, which used to be um, Bob the Chef's, many years known as a jazz place here. Uh, not j- not only jazz, but a, a food place that everybody goes to in the community, just down the street from Berkeley here. And so we decided to, to, to do a rehearsal. And she brought her drummer. I think Christian Scott came. We did the performance, and uh, I couldn't get the beat. I couldn't get the the groove. Not only is she brilliant, but there's a new generational swing, and I just couldn't feel it so so much. But I, I was really appreciative of, of our beginning of that. So I called together a bunch of guys my age, basically. Uh, George Russell Jr., uh, Lenny Starworth, Kenwood Denard, Stan Strickland, and we decided to start the band first and then invite Esperanza and later Grace Kelly and Christian Scott and all these younger artists. And in that, Alex Hahn, what have you, and a bunch of singers and, and what, what have you. That night, which was every Monday, blew up in Boston, got listed in one of the, the hot jazz spots in the country, and everybody was coming to that. And so in that, we created a collaborative kind of thing in an exchange. And out of that, I decided to take my music and do the same thing, to bring my own sensibilities from the songs and the, the stylings that I knew that were tight, and then interweave those with younger voices, a more contemporary urban feel, and that was the beginning of the jazz or bang. Given that, you know, bridging across generations here, there's a real strong element of mentorship naturally in this project, including your mentor, the late George Duke, who produced the album, to scores of alumni and students you've imparted your wisdom to. Can you talk about that element of mentorship? Listen, uh, uh, Leslie, arts 
are about mentorship and collaboration. We don't know any other way to do that. If you look at opera, if you look at symphonies, if you look at rock and roll musicians, if you look at singer-songwriters, we're sitting down in the coffee houses, we're sitting down in the plazas, we're sitting down in classrooms to rapping and talking about what our music means and what it does in the world. So this kind of collaboration is a, is a big thing. And any time, particularly in the jazz field, the older guys would always say, young blood, don't step up here unless you got something to say. That means you knew the changes, you knew how to swing, you knew the literature. And if you didn't, they would cut you. That means get off the stage. And you learn your lesson. You go home badly bruised, but you come back the next day or the next weekend ready to burn. And that's part of the mentorship. So, so I think that's a, a part of that thing, but also the kinds of wisdom and sharing that happens among musicians and certainly across generations is about what mentor. We look to older guys and ladies to teach us about the ways of the walk in art and music, and that's how we learn and that's how we share together. So I think this project uh, was created to, in fact, instill that in the working air of the production, but as well in terms of the kind of feeling that was going on and sharing among the musicians. So George Duke has been a big, I mean, my, my gosh, I grew up on George Duke, and to meet him over these years and get his advice, and I said, you know, when I want to do this record, you know, could you help me out? Um, I had a production team here. I produced it, George Duke, executive produced, but we also had jo Joey Blake, and we had a, a, a really interesting and exciting younger producer whose name is uh, Ron Dorsey from Detroit, who's into all kinds of uh, house music and what have you, and uh, contemporary hip-hop and culture. So he really informed that aspect of it. Um, and so in that collaboration, we were able to take these tunes and do that. So uh, George Duke and then all the, the younger students that are on the record who are obviously very talented, but they look to us as a little bit little bit older than them to provide that kind of mentorship, and I think that's the spirit of the record. Yeah, what a team. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had a great time, too. And then we had, you know, we had Prince's music director in L.A., uh, who's, you know, been working with Prince for 20 years, and he's, he produced another record for me. So we were able to bring him in, his lead uh, engineer, uh, engineers, everybody from... Aretha Franklin to Prince to you name it, uh, Anita Baker. So we had that kind of technical support, but we had a kind of experiential knocking and, and locking there. People like Terry Lynn Carrington and Greg Osby were also a part of this. Uh, you know, uh, Prince Alexander here, Prince Charles Alexander. So we had a team of folks who could bring these various uh, skill sets and energy to the project. And I know for you, this album's roots really trace back three decades to when you were producing albums in Copley Square. How did that evolve to what you're creating today? Well, it's interesting. The Jazz Urbane is, is like I say, the secondary iteration of B-Magic Music, which is the parent company, the parent um, publishing company, which was started here when I graduated from New England Conservatory. But we were all here, whether it was the Marcellus Brothers, where, whether it was Walter Beasley, whether it was, you can name any anybody in our age group right now. We were all here in those years studying together, and we went to New England Conservatory in Berkeley. And in those days, we all hung out. We, there wasn't a riff or anything. We just doing music in the streets. And when I graduated, I, before I decided to go to graduate school and do the other things I want to do, I started a record company and got a publishing deal and a distribution deal very early on. I mean, people talk about Puff Daddy and all that. And, you know, please, we were doing that in the 80s, making our own records and working with DJs and what have you. So that's what I started to do. We moved into Copley Place. I had five or six artists that I produced. 
Uh, we got mentioned in Billboard as a new company, and that's what really got me started in publishing as a young um, entrepreneur and, and a record producer and what have you. And over the years, the, the publishing company continued to support all the things that I do in music, including my jazz and pop and certain my concert operatic works and that kind of stuff. And so that's how it happened. In this later iteration, I wanted to bring the, the new style music with my publishing company that was 30 years old and, and bring this new style to, to continue to do the next, the next leg of this. And that's how, that's how it's been. So let's listen to another tune from the album, Money Funny, featuring alumni Grace Kelly and Christian Scott. Featured artists on this album read like a who's who of jazz, including Berkeley alumni Grace Kelly and Christian Scott, who we just heard. For your current students who may have dreams to be part of such a project, what kind of advice do you have for them? Well, we have lots of advice. First, I think that the industry has everybody believe we're on an American Idol kind of thing, you know, voice and you know, factor five. That's boo-boo. It doesn't really happen like that. Any musician who's serious should not even watch that. I'm serious. It, people are going to probably throw a lot of hate at me for that because in one way it does show some positive connection that's going on, and I think that's all great. But a serious musician is going to focus in on their craft, and they realize it's not a five-minute formula. If you're going to be doing anything serious with your skills and your art, it's going to take you 20 or 30 years. Forget about it. There's no fast track to this. It's, there is not. So it's a fallacy. And one of the, the great problems, I think, that we have is we create this notion that you're going to get famous in five minutes and be on the Internet. That's just silliness. It doesn't happen like that. So people need to wake up and young artists. So what I try to tell my students is get yourself ready, not for the Internet instantaneous gratification, but get yourself ready to be trained as a musician and artist who can sustain yourself for the next 30 years. Now, that's a scary kind of equation for most 18-year-olds. They're not thinking that far, but they need to, because if you're going to do anything with any, any seriousness. So the first thing is, is you have to be serious and focus, and you have to have a plan. So many students graduate out here, zero plan. They haven't thought about it. I'm, uh, certainly, certainly many are. But the, uh, too many are not, and they end up losing out. So you have to think and plan, and you have to look at the marketplace and study it. Certainly all the uh, electronic avenues that we do, YouTube, are good places, uh, a one place to look. But you really do have to be in this for the long haul. 
And I think the other thing is you have to hone your craft and you have to develop your voice. Not Beyonce's voice, not 2 Chainz's voice, not Adele's voice, not Lord's voice, not none of them. They have their own voice. And unfortunately, the marketplace wants to create one or two voices and then sell them up the wibwab to make money. But that's not what musicians do. Musicians actually spend time, if you listen to the long-term ones, from Madonna to Sting to Louis Armstrong to Duke Ellington, anybody like that. Rolling Stones. I mean, come on. Um, you can go down the list with musicians who take time to hone their craft and they sustain for 20 or 30 years. So develop your own voice, hone your craft, be in this for the long haul to develop your art. And in the classroom, you teach ethnomusicology, the roots of music, how everything is so interconnected. How do you feel the jazz or bane underscores that point? Well, I think, just look at the title, Leslie. Just look at the title. That's right. <laughs> the jazz or bane. Okay, let's, let's decode that. First, if you talk about the notion of urbane, that means urban sophistication. It means a cosmopolitan notion of Paris, cosmopolitan notion of Boston, cosmopolitan notion of Detroit, cosmopolitan notion of, you know, West Africa cosmopolitan. You know, it is like the happening, sophisticated, on the edge, in the box, straight ahead, forward kind of ideology, okay? Secondly, urbane sounds like urban, so fine, it's urban music, but urbane, sophisticated music, and then it's jazz. Now, if it's going to be jazz urbane, the idea is that it's jazz that's urbane. It's sophisticated, it's it's connected, it's, it's cosmopolitan, it's worldly. So that's what we try to do, and it also is a bust-bends approach, which means the record bends are in one category and records say jazz is only this R&B is only this funk is, is only this but the whole idea of I think this thing that we're trying to talk about is that great music falls into all these categories Bob Dylan is very funky but it's also melodic and it also tells a story just like a great rap or hip hop song that tells a story of humanity tells a great story but also a bluegrass tune tells great stories of the people and then you have R&B and funk and classic music opera is about telling great stories. So I think when we, uh, you know, Duke Ellington said beyond category, I think that's just the wonderful thing. I mean, true artists understand what I mean is to be smart about the kinds of decisions we have to make as artists who are trained and who are prepared, which means that our music has to cut across. We have to be wise about it entrepreneurially, wise about it aesthetically, wise about it in the ways in which it connects to the world we live in. And that's how you're going to have a, the best music that, like we're talking about, kind of sustains itself. So I think in that regard, we're trying to talk about that, too, that it's a non-categorical music that has this front-loading definition, but the back-middle-loading of it is it's got all of the goo, supposedly, of the best of music and the best that we can expect music to do. Let's close by listening to one more tune from the album Words Linger, featuring Terry Lynn Carrington, Annette Phillip, and Stan Strickland.
I'm Leslie Mahoney for Inside Berkeley. To learn more about the Jazz Urbane, visit Bill Banfield's Jazz Urbane YouTube channel. And to see what other faculty members are up to, visit berkeley.edu slash faculty. <laughs>